Stay hungry, stay foolish. The digital transformation is over. We live in an age where digital is the default setting. Anyone who is yet to transform is either obsolete or on the way there. The modern world and old organizations are not compatible. Right now, we're communicating, thinking, collaborating, sharing, working, and playing in ways that couldn't have been imagined two decades ago. Yet somehow, many of our businesses and structures employed to operate them remain the same. There are many reasons why this is completely unsustainable, and we're going to explore these as we journey through what makes a human workplace. The human workplace is one that adapts, innovates fast, involves everyone, communicates, understands, it creates relationships rather than transactions. People are emotional, responsive, individual. That's what our organizations need to be, creating a story and telling it in their own way. We welcome author of The Human Workplace, People-Centered Organizational Development. Andy Swan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Aidan. It's so good to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And I thought we'd start the way you do in the book, which is crushing a myth that businesses need to behave more like startups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, one of the things I tried to do with the book is it would have been very easy to to go and just look at startups and go, oh, look, look how these these cool small groups of people are doing some really exciting stuff. They're all sitting in the same room so they can talk to each other, they can share ideas, they can shout across the room to each other and all this cool stuff happens and it's great and they're really connected to their brand and they're doing all this great stuff. But what I really wanted to look at was actually how what what's the situation in the large complex organizations you know there are so many global organizations who employ 50 100,000 people around the world how are they doing stuff how can they create these connections that drive this this future success and i think you kind of have this this dual status where you have a lot of large organizations saying, well, we, we really need to be more like startups in the fact that they're looking to be more agile, they're looking to be more communicative, they're looking to be more collaborative, to, to share ideas, to, to move quicker, to get things done and to innovate faster and to adopt things like design thinking. But then equally, when you actually go to speak to startups, you, they're, they're sitting there going, God, imagine what we could do with the budget. If we had a corporate budget and we had that opportunity, imagine the impact we could create in the world. So I think we kind of... We've got into this position where so many, the, the kind of the buzzwords are, oh, be more like a startup. But actually, that's not necessarily the case. There's so much to be said for what you can do with a huge corporate budget and, and reach around the world. It's just how you use that and how you, how you make it something that's actually useful and, and can create the impact you need. One of the things you talk about in the book that you do in your workshops with organizations is ask them what they admire in startups. And I thought this led to a great question, which is, what does the startup offer that is enticing people from big corporations there's a lot of different things that and you know time and time again the word purpose comes up and the word purpose is used a lot when we speak to people in corporates and saying you know what do you what do you admire about startups they say the purpose they say the connection the sense of the sense of a shared goal and i think that's really important because actually when you are small and you're, you're just starting out, you've all got, everybody there is there for that reason because they believe in what you're about to do. They're not there for a, a huge paycheck or the, the guarantee of, of stability or security because all of that's uncertain. What they're there for is because they really believe in the work they're doing. And I think that's what, what really resonates, and particularly in this, this day and age where you know, times are uncertain. So even if you're in the biggest, most stable organization today, the organization could collapse tomorrow if the, if the world changes. So, so people are starting to realize that there's more to life than, 
than a pension and and reaching the end of a career with with some kind of economic stability because that's not guaranteed through your career anymore. So if that's taken away, what do we get out of going to work? And we start to look more, people are more interested in their contribution in doing something that that really matters, maybe to them, maybe to the world, whatever they believe in. And I think that's the real essence that, that startups bring. Yes, there's the wider stuff. There's that fact that they're all more connected. They're all closer. They can communicate. They're, they're more open because there, there tends to be less of them to start with. And it is notable that as startups grow and scale, they do lose some of that, that kind of that personality or that, that personable connection. Um, I mean, you, you look at, companies that 10 years ago were, were startups. You look at, I don't know, Facebook, Google, some of the big tech companies. They're now these huge global giants. And, and even they are now suffering from this, this disconnect between people and organizations. So it's a real hard tightrope to walk. But when, when you look at startups, what they really have is that connection and shared purpose, which you can really harness and drive, use to drive innovation, creativity, collaboration, and, and, and fast growth. Andy, you said there about the time a startup comes a scale up that often the energy shifts in the organization and it's that Dunbar number we talk about where it kind of goes beyond 50 mm. that the whole dynamic of the startup changes. 50 seems to be the, the magical, the non-magic number as, as it were for an organization and and as you're approaching that number, you know, once, once you get over 10, you start to put in a level of, of process maybe. You know, there, there's some kind of HR function. There's the necessities to, to manage the the kind of the paperwork of a business. Once you get over 50, people, you know, things become detached. It's quite hard to get everybody in a room together to really kind of have a conversation. You, you get to the point where not everybody knows each other on quite such a, a personal or I don't like to use the word intimate, but you know, that, that kind of close community level, it starts to disperse slightly. And, and actually, you know, then all of a sudden you need structure. You need to understand, well, how are we controlling the communication? How are we making sure we know where everybody is? How, how are we managing the contribution people make? And at that point, you start to adopt this structure. And typically, businesses go in way too hard and they adopt too much structure. And then from that point of structure, start saying, well, how can we give a bit of freedom back into this? How can we introduce a bit of flexibility? And actually, really what they should be doing is staying as close to complete freedom and flexibility as possible and just putting in the minimum possible structure, which then allows people to do their best work in their, in their own way and then continue as far as possible that collaboration, the, the energy. And, and really, it's the organization's job to enable those things to happen, not to, to put in structure that starts to suffocate it. And it's, it's a very difficult balance to, to maintain. You talked about this in your own organization where some companies brought in unlimited vacation. It was outcome-based work. And they struggled with those boundaries. And that you brought this in your own organization and it made a huge change. It made a huge difference to your team. The phrase I would use is freedom within parameters. Yes, give people as much freedom as possible, but you do need that minimum structure. What are the parameters that your organization needs to, to enable this flexibility to work? So, for example, if you say to anybody, so you take, take a workplace. We, we have this problem where people talk about workplaces and they mean offices, but actually there are all kinds of different workplaces. You know, So, say, for example, let's take a manufacturing facility. If you say to everyone in the manufacturing facility, right, we're going to operate fully flexible workplace now. You can come and go as you please, do your work when you want. But then you have a machine that needs to run for 12 hours a day, yet your production operatives aren't coming in except at different times. So you never have the team to run the machine. You need those parameters that say, okay, the parameters of our business are we have to run a machine or we have to speak to customers or provide customer service at X, Y, Z time. Within those parameters, how do we then provide that freedom how do we provide the freedom to act how do we provide the freedom to 
to create your working environment that enables you to thrive? How can we give you that that flexibility to to maybe you know fit your work around your life a little bit more, or or your life around your work? So all of those things, it's just understanding what's the minimum possible structure you can have in place. What are the absolute parameters your business needs in order to to survive, and then starting to build things from there. And in terms of the, that that annual leave thing, yeah, I mean it's, it's really powerful. The parameters. The parameters we looked at, having having seen a lot of case studies where companies, they just bring in these benefits and just say, oh, you can all take as much holiday as you want. And then people take as much holiday as they want. Some people don't take any holiday. Others take take the mickey and take holiday all the time. But actually, you need those parameters that says, okay, our, our parameters are you can have as much holiday as you, uh, much annual leave as you like. However, we need to know in advance before you're going. You need to agree it with your, your line manager or your team. Um, and then you have to have all your work up to date before you leave. And you have to make sure that someone is in place to, to cover your basics while you're away. And if all those things are in place, then absolutely go and you know, go and relax. Because actually what we're trying to achieve is an environment where people are thriving and doing their best work in the best possible way. And actually work shouldn't take over your life. Work should be a part of your life. So yeah, go and have a life, but but make sure we we get done what we need to do. That raises the question something you need to do first as an organization is hire the right people so they will behave accordingly absolutely and we're back to to the starting point you know what we said about startups people talk about that purpose and energy and why why is there that purpose and energy because a the organization has that really defined kind of kind of mission statement or understanding of why are we here what are we actually trying to achieve together and then they're bringing in people who fit that who fit that mission they're bringing in people who are aligned and we t- we're talking a book about this idea that actually we're not building companies anymore we're building communities and that's in terms of the people we bring in to be employees of the organization as well as the customers we attract it's about aligning people with your brand or your mission you know you have you have great companies like patagonia the clothing company you have a really clear purpose uh, and approach and people really buy into that so they get this huge customer loyalty and huge employee loyalty and um and i think there's been a danger for, for years and years for organizations to when they have a need or a vacancy and things are busy just quickly bring in someone or bring in someone from the competitor because they've done it there and assume that they can bring those skills but as much as they bring competitor skills they might bring the competitor's ethos or, or the bad habits what you really need to be doing is bringing in the right people because what what can as an organization what can you give people knowledge experience, all of those things, you can give them from the moment they join your organizations. The things you can't change is who someone is and their capability to to take on information or or kind of or learn. So actually if you've got the right person who's aligned with your mission, who really believes in what you're doing, is the is the right person, then you can give them all the other stuff. From the day they start with you, you can train them, you can give them experience, you can provide them with knowledge. They can learn as they go. And, and so that's the thing. And there, there's a really great, great quote, which was actually edited in the book for me. It's from the former head of talent at Apple. And it's better to have a hole in your organization than an asshole. And I think that's so true because actually, yes, having a vacancy means that people will be busier and, and you know, it's, it's harder to get the work done. But if you have the wrong person in that vacancy, they will cause so much disruption and then start to disrupt that shared community and community feeling and actually when communities aren't working they fall apart very quickly that's funny that makes sense to me now because when i read that section it's entitled hole or holes and holes with a w and holes with a h now you've brought a totally (laughs) new meaning to that one for me (laughs) the quote was edited in the book for me uh, by by my editor so yeah it didn't didn't quite resonate in the same way (laughs) lost that certain word (laughs) didn't have the same uh, thread of meaning throughout it but that's a really interesting one because we, in the interest of 
getting back to work or getting back to working in the business. We forget to work on the business and and we rush to hire. And, and you see this happening all the time. And, you know, you hear the quote as well, like hire slowly, fire fast. And that's exactly why what you're talking about there. Yeah, we have to understand that building a business, you know, creating the future for a company, however big or small, it's not easy. It's really, really hard. It's why not everyone is taking responsibility for doing it. I mean, I, I'm just going to use a quick analogy this morning. I just posted on Instagram just before I came I came to speak to you. And I, I'm, I'm in San Francisco at the moment, so kind of the heartland of innovation as it, or tech innovation. I went for a run this morning. I ran up a hill, and there were these steps. And they, the hill was almost vertical. And it took me about 10 minutes to get up these steps, and it was so painful. When I got to the top, and when I got there, I, you know, I was completely ruined. But the view was incredible. And I think there's that understanding. You, know, you can't, there's no shortcut up that hill. You try and take a shortcut, you'll end up getting, getting lost or going further off, off track. Actually, you need to put in the hard work to get up there and be careful. Yeah, don't just, don't just hire, you know, take it slowly, but just keep taking those steps forward and eventually you'll get to the top. But you need to keep that clear vision of where you're going. And actually just bringing in anybody isn't going to keep that, keep that clear vision because it will dilute that sense of community and that shared sense of purpose. And, and when that gets lost, that's when, when things go off track. Before we delve into the human workplace and some of the solutions that you offer, you do a great job of defining some of the terminology that's often used interchangeably. For example, we often hear business and organization use interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. And you do a great job. But it'd be great if you'd share that with our audience. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's been an interesting one for me over the years to really experiment with that. And we kind of talk about, okay, who, what's your organization? And we, we assume that that's the same thing as a business, but, but it's not really. The business is what, what are we trying to achieve? What's the product or service that we're selling? And, and how, you know, what's, the actual, what's the actual aim here? And the organization is something separate because organizations don't really exist. They're actually the structure that you put in place to enable the work of that business to get done. And actually, I think it's really useful to start separating the two and looking at them separately because then you can really plan it. And when you start looking at organizations as, as platforms, actually you realize they're platforms to enable people to do the work that's required to meet the business aims. And you can start designing them and thinking about them in a completely new way. And I think when things are, are lumped together as this kind of, right, we need to we need to make everything happen because this is all the business or this is all the organization. Actually, it's it's quite difficult to, to keep that clarity of vision. And the business to one side is going, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're selling. This is how much of it we need to do to, to achieve. This is our purpose. Are we after profit or are we after something else or a combination of the both? And that will set the tone for what your organization needs to deliver. And then the organization is a structure that goes, okay, here are the people we need to do that. Here's the framework we're going to provide them to enable them to have the, the right place, take the right actions to do it. And as a result of the work of the organization, the business aims can be met. And I love your definition of purpose or your formula for purpose. You say purpose equals survival plus X. So many people within companies think that the organization exists for their own gain, but it has to exist to survive first. And I love the way you call this out, but it's that survive plus X. And what does X mean? And you mentioned, for example, Patagonia. Traditional organizations will always just put profit first. And particularly when you've got shareholders involved and they, they need their, their kind of dividends and things, it kind of drives towards profit. But actually, if you look at a company like Patagonia, they have a very clear purpose. So survival plus you know, their purpose actually creates profit in its own right. Profit is kind of a byproduct byproduct of having this clarity of purpose that, that you, then, you then follow. I mean, Patagonia on their Black Friday sales they donate incredible amounts of money to to good causes um 
And that's that's because that's what they believe in. They believe in creating a positive impact in the world. So that that fits into their equation. And actually, any organization can sit down and go, why are we really here? Number one, we have to survive. Otherwise, we won't be here anymore. But number two, what are we here for? Are we just out and out to make profit? And if you're out and out to make profit, it's not that that's a bad thing, but that tells you how your organization is going to feel and how it will behave. Because actually, if all you're trying to do is make profit, you, you, know, you won't necessarily have the, the conscience. You won't you, know, you you may kind of take shortcuts. You may be you know, slightly more abrasive. But actually, if you're saying our purpose is to create positive impact in the world, to make X community happy, um, whatever it might be, then you can still make a profit doing that. But that doesn't the profit doesn't necessarily need to be your driving force. And that purpose equation then starts to help you understand, well, how does this organization look? How does it feel? As we build the, the organization to meet this business purpose, who do we need to do this? Who, who is our community? You know, how will they behave? And that's how you start building that organizational structure around it. You mentioned that word community a lot, and it's a word that's not used enough with businesses. It's usually used in a kind of lipstick on a pig way to describe CSR initiatives, for example. But when the business starts with a community and builds around it like Patagonia did, it totally changes it. And, and you bring up the case study of Tesco, for example, a business who lost touch with its community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the end of the 90s, I think there was a Tesco store in the UK in every postcode bar one nationally, which is incredible. And you know, they, But they built their business by becoming the, the de facto retailer. They were in every location. So you went to Tesco's because it was close. And then as the internet age started to come through, people had choice. And then you had the low-cost discount stores coming in in the local areas as well. So Tesco was suddenly competing on all of these fronts. You know, People could choose where they went to, to buy their groceries. And, and they had that choice of which store do we align with? You know, is it a quality thing? Is it a, you know, is it a community thing? Is it a, is it, I don't know, some other aspect of, of a brand? We're like, is it a service thing? What it may be. Um, so, so people could select where they went with their custom. Then also, if it was all about price, Tesco were no longer the cheapest. So they were kind of stuck in this middle ground. They hadn't done anything to build their sense of community or create a real connection with their with their customers because actually what they were really about was being the de facto retailer in the area and then all of a sudden when people had choice on where to go there was no reason for them to shop at Tesco anymore it wasn't the cheapest it didn't provide the best service i remember standing in the tills myself hearing three members of Tesco staff talking to each other about what a terrible place it is to work in a particular branch. And you know that you've got problems as an organization when your own staff are speaking in front of customers quite openly about how they don't like working there, but they're just working there for a paycheck. And the minute you've got people working there for a paycheck, things are going badly wrong anyway, because that goes back to the kind of thing we were saying um, a while ago about having that that shared drive and that connection. So so yeah, they, they lost their, their way in that respect. And even now, even today, they're still trying to to bring that back, but they haven't done it by focusing on on community. They've done it by focusing on business restructure, sell-offs, and, and perpetuating themselves through cash. But that cash pool will run out eventually. And this is the real essence of the book, Andy. People constantly look in business towards the mechanics of the business, the structures, the strategies to fix it, when they need to look at the humanics, the people who run it, and how to motivate them. And that's what I really love that you bring across in the book. But you say as well, Tesco, for example, have enough runway to buy themselves out of the problem because they had done so well during when times were good. But so many businesses just won't have that runway, that cash stockpile to get themselves out of the mess they've created. You need to have that connection with your customers to understand what they need from you. I mean, one of my businesses, so I have a company called My Amazing Team, and we help large organizations and brands create products and services quite simply through speaking to the people 
who will be using those products and services and asking them what they want from them. And that's putting a, a simplified gloss on it. But but that not that just the case? Who are the people who will tell you what they want from the products and services you provide, but your customers? And if you're aligned with your customers through this, this sense of, of shared purpose or connection, then that that distance to the customer is is so much closer that they can tell you in far more in real time what you need to do and then you can deliver it i mean there's i think there's a case study in the book there was a great a couple of years ago now there was a great moment where somebody tweeted um at elon musk about tesla charging stations being used by people as glorified car parks and then the people who then want to use the tesla charging stations couldn't get their cars in there because people had just parked up there and gone shopping and literally within days elon musk had picked up that tweet tweeted straight back, done something about it. And I think it's something ridiculous, like two to three days, a change in policy had happened on how charging stations are used for Tesla and people are only allowed to be there for X amount of time after they, they'd they finished charging. And and that's a that's a real example of how that, when you're when you're aligned with your community, that that change and that adaption to what the community needs from your products and services can happen so much more quickly. It's a great segue for what you talk about linear business. So business has been built on a linear concept and that has absolutely changed we're in a world of iterations and evolution there's always been this thing that yes it's 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 a straight line it's a to b where we keep going and we keep growing it's kind of it's always tend to be an an upward an upward line yeah growth is perpetual but growth isn't perpetual at the end of the day we live on a tiny bubble in the sky that has a, a finite amount of resources a finite amount of people you can't grow forever yet our whole economic structure is and our, our businesses are built on the idea that you can grow forever but actually if you define your community there will be a maximum size for that community and if you're serving that community well you'll be profitable it doesn't mean you have to perpetually grow because actually what why do you need to grow beyond the, the needs of your community and and i think that's the thing yeah we're constantly adapting things change the the world changes if, if we go back 20 years from now um 20 years in the past, you know, there were no smartphones. The, the internet was was only just taking off. And the face of business and the face of organization and the face of customer demands and the choice people have and the way consumers act has changed completely. And it's going to keep changing because technology will move on. And I was only speaking to someone yesterday about how, yes, we can try and predict five years into the future, but there will be that twist. There will be that piece of innovation that changes the game that none of us even have considered yet because it will suddenly be adopted en masse around the world. And that will change the way businesses have to act. So actually, we can't just be this unshifting, linear A to B structure that just says, this is what we do. We will keep going forever and it, we will keep growing and it will be fine actually we're, we're constantly evolving with these these small inter interjoining circles um that, that just say okay what what are we developing how are we evolving okay this is what we need to do now how are we looking further down the line but how are we responding to what our customers want and how are we kind of as a business plugged into that community to really stay abreast of what's happening and you know we do a lot of work with with big companies who are saying okay our competitors done this and really succeeded on it we now need to start thinking about how we're going to do that. But you know what? Your competitors started thinking about that five years ago. If you start doing it now, the market's already gone. You're already late to market. By the time you develop that product, put it through your overcomplicated system, brand it up, start to launch it, throw a lot of advertising money at it, the chances are you've missed the boat on that thing anyway. Why aren't you putting those resources into connecting with your consumers and looking at the next great idea down the line where you can be be the, the pioneers, be the first to do that, because that, that's how you do it. And you need to have that kind of constant, constantly looking forward, constantly adapting mindset. Just because something worked once, it doesn't mean it's going to work forever. And and why should we be worried if it doesn't? We should be excited as humans to, to adapt and, and evolve, because that's, you know, that's how we exist on this planet, through evolution. It ties back to something you said earlier on about people and their habits. Because if you have the habit of accepting failure, 
that totally changes things because it's one thing in organizations we've witnessed a lot of we need to change our relationship with failure absolutely there's always this this connotation in business that the failure is a bad word whether you go to an event and you ask somebody how they're doing if you go to a traditional business event and the first thing you say oh how are you doing everyone's always says yeah i'm great i'm so busy things are manic and it's actually yeah but does that mean things are good you know and and if things aren't good why don't you talk to someone because between you you can probably work out whether they're not and actually this idea that that failure is a bad thing, and if you fail in your job, you you you'll ruin your career aspirations, or you won't progress because it will be seen as a bad thing. But actually, we're starting to realise, and and this goes back to to something called design thinking, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute. But actually, if you try something, it's far better to try something, keep analysing it, and realise whether it's working or not working. And if it's not working, either tweak it so it does meet the demands of the the end users or the customers, or realise actually it's got a fatal flaw. So so pull it and do that quickly rather than throwing all your money at something and just continuing to do it in the hope it works and actually if it does go down it will be a horrific you know maybe business threatening failure but small rapid failure isn't failure it's it's a cause for celebration it's 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 the principle of iteration you know we tried this it, it was a good idea however here's what the consumers actually want from it this is the feedback they've given us that tells us how we meet those those needs let's tweak it that's not a failure to to learn from a mistake i mean think when you're a kid and you're learning to walk if you fall over nobody goes oh you messed that up you can't walk anymore you just get back up and try again and eventually you're running that involves changing mindsets isn't it like we often look to business models to change but it's mental models it's how you mentioned the business world and the business and the world itself is evolving but so are we so are the human who are working in the businesses it's a huge mindset change. And and going back to what we said about, you know, being digital by default and how we talk, you still hear this idea of, oh, businesses are entering the digital transformation. They're not because all the people working in the businesses, they are behaving and acting in certain ways outside of work. You know, we have choice. We have so much knowledge at our fingertips. We have so much ability to communicate, to collaborate anywhere in the world at any given time, to to plug into different perspectives, to share and to create. And all of that stuff is, is a toolkit that actually almost any of us have at our probably in our pocket right now with, with smartphones um, and all the other technology we, we have around us. And I think that's now that needs to be really harnessed in organizations because humans are changing, yet this kind of business mindset of kind of adaptation and, and yeah, that kind of rapid innovation and, and trying, testing things, if they don't work, move on, it's still, it's still not quite there. I mean, yeah, we, I do a lot of work with, with large companies who they, they come and say, okay, we need to innovate we need to do more agile innovation. We need, we need to innovate more rapidly. And we say, okay, well, what's stopping you? So what's well, our system? It takes X amount of time to do this in the system. It takes X amount of time to do that. And there's this restriction and that restriction. So we go, okay, well, let's sit down. How can we come up with a, with a great new agile innovation mindset? And we do it. And then they go, well, that's great. And we say, okay, but this will have to be external from your system. But this is the point where the output goes back into your system. And they're, they're like, great, but how do we plug this into the system? And it's like, You've got to shift your mindset and understand that to do something different, you have to do something different. You can't just say, we want to be different, but it has to be different within the complete boundaries of everything we've done up until now, because that's not different. (laughs) We have a lot of C-suite executives, CEOs, and consultants who listen to the show. And I thought about something you mentioned in the book, which is we need to adapt policies for business to cater for the world of the always-on worker because people are burning out, people are breaking down, and therefore the business needs to change to adapt so they do not. The more people move down the route of saying, okay, I realize my career is not for life, so I want something more out of work. Therefore, I will work for an organization where I align with what they're doing and I align with the purpose. 
then that means that they're probably happier to work more, but it doesn't mean they should. And actually, what they re- what we're really seeing is this integration between between work and life. So we're not talking about work and li- work life balance anymore. We're talking about life work, like that kind of integration of the of the two things into one. And if that's happening, you need this complete rethink about how work and life flow together. Just because people do and can answer emails at midnight, and sometimes they might want to. You know, some days I wake up. And I, in the morning, I'm really tired, so I just don't do anything. However, I might start work at 4 p.m., and that day I might be on fire, so I'll, you know, I'll work till midnight or, or 1 a.m., and that's fine as long as it's within the parameters of, of my work getting done. But that doesn't mean that the next day I should be made to go to the office at, at 8 a.m. If, if I work late. And actually, it's this kind of this flow, this understanding that if life and work are integrating, and you know, the, all the stats show that if people are well and people are you know, mentally and physically looking after their well-being, their output is far better. They enjoy their work more. They're more productive. Um, they're, they're, they're more present, and they create more as a result. So the, the benefits of the organization are there for, for creating this, this kind of flexibility you know, within the parameters of the business. But it does need that complete mindset shift, working people to death just because you can because you're, they're always on and they're always connected. And if you put them under pressure that if your boss sends an email at midnight, you have to reply, otherwise it will be frowned on in the morning. Because if your boss is working, you have to show you are, or, or else you know, you're not as good as they are. Actually, that, that really needs to go because that's not good for anyone. It's really unproductive. But enabling people to, to be always on as far as they want to, but positively encouraging them to, to flex their life into their work while enabling them to do their best work is, is a hugely powerful thing. Yeah, that's a key one. You, you talked there a little bit about culture, so how the boss expects to answer an email, that that becomes the way things are done around here. And then you think about big, complex, dispersed organizations, and that becomes even harder to control or harder to manage. And you give a great case study of CGI and Julie Godin. It'd be great if you shared that with us. They're a great company. They're a Canadian IT company, really famous around the world now. They're, they're really huge. And they grow through acquisition and merger. However, they're, they're completely committed to, to growing through people. Actually, they acquire companies because of the services they provide, but then their, their priority is bringing people through and, and enabling leaders who then, in return, enable the people around them. And it's very much this people-first ethos that actually understands that if people are able or given the platform to perform at their best and do their best work, they will do their best work. And as a result, all these different initiatives come through. And that's what Judy and, and this, the senior leadership team are constantly looking at. How do we provide this platform for, for people to thrive? Because it's quite simple. When people thrive, the organization thrives too. And it's this complete shift in mindset. And it's, it's great to see it coming from a huge global company. And as a result of that, they're able to keep that global strategy, but local implementation of all of these themes, which allows that personality of what it is to be part of CGI and part of that community to continue regardless of where their people are in the world. I'd love to go a little bit deeper on this one, Andy, because we've a lot of global companies listen to the show and they'll have sites in most countries around the globe. And how did they implement the one voice, the one purpose? You mentioned there about localizing it to the different regions. How does that even begin? And you do give frameworks for this in the book, but just for somebody listening, what is the top line on that? I mean, we go back right to the start with this. So you have to understand what is the purpose of your business? Why are you all there? Because then that, that then starts to feed, okay, this is how we behave. This is what it is to be one of our people. And so then, you know, you, you then that kind of helps drive who you bring into the business, the platform you create for them to thrive and how you enable them to thrive and the actions they take. And it's that clarity um, 
that really comes, you know, it's really obvious with CGI. And it's, there are so many case studies in the book of organizations, regardless of whether it's, you know, how you bring through leadership, um, how you design the physical workplace, how you manage people, um, how you lead. Actually, it's, it's this idea, which is really interesting. And I see it with a lot of my clients on, and we help them do it, whether it's with innovation, whether it's with leadership, um, whether it's with products and service development. It's really interesting, this idea of a global strategy that says, at the global level, here's what this organization does. Here are the kind of things we need to do. Here's who our community is. Here's how we go about it. Here's how we behave. And providing this toolkit to the entire organization, which then gets disseminated to any of the regions, any of the localities within those regions that then says, okay, these are the principles, but we understand there is a cultural and a local impact. You know, the way that somebody in China may personally want to work may differ hugely to how somebody in the US or Australia wants to work as an individual. However, as a global as a global set of guidelines, here's our approach to getting our job done. It's up to you locally to understand those cultural nuances, the needs of your workforce and the environment they need, the set of tools they need to do their job. So you go ahead and interpret it. So you take that set of principles, you interpret it locally, and as long as you're plugged into these, these global set of principles, then, then everybody wins and everybody can do their best work. I think there's, there's nothing worse than being completely detached, you know, having a, an organization that's headquartered in the, in the US, say, kind of then dictating to the rest of the world, saying, this is how we work. And, and actually, the world is so diverse, and diversity is such a powerful tool for any organization. Diversity of thinking, diversity of collaboration, diversity of perspective, that actually being sympathetic to that diversity and allowing it to thrive, as well as allowing all the individuals within that location to thrive by owning their own version of the, the global guidelines is, is exceptionally powerful. And you know, time and time again, I see it in the organizations I work with. Once we enable it, it, it drives that, that innovation, that, that ability to act, that ability to understand how best to serve your customers. Because the biggest connection to customers is at the local level. It's the people who are speaking to those customers. And that's where the feedback comes that says, well, this is how we want to be served. These are the products and services we need. I really like the idea that this, and, it, and it's the evidence shows it, it works very well, that you can have this global strategy with local implementation. And one of the things you talk about is simplification. And I love what you talk about mission statements or purpose in a tweet. So it needs to be short. It needs to be snappy. I was laughing because I don't know if you've seen these, but there's these kind of joke mission statement generators online where you put in openers, adverbs, and adjectives, and it throws out a garbled mission statement. But the, <laughs> the, the sad thing is it resembles so many mission statements of big companies out there. At some point, every business was started. Why was that business started? And when it was started, the chances are the business was started on the back of a cigarette packet or a beer mat or something, and there was just a great idea that was at the core of everything that happened. And then as the business grows, and we've talked about you know these magic numbers and things, and the bigger it gets and the more complex it gets, the more corporate it gets, and all of this complexity just starts being layered on when it's really it's really unnecessary. And actually, and you know the the, the the tweet policy procedure thing is slightly flippant, but it's just this idea that actually once we strip back all the unnecessary complexity. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? You know, does our does XYZ HR policy need to be 10 pages long? Or is it really as simple as saying, this, you know, we trust you to do your job, we trust you're the right people, and as a result, here, you know, here are the, the couple of things that we need to make sure happen. You know, and we've we've got to this kind of litigation kind of culture because organizations 
don't necessarily have the right people in, in and around them, that they're suspicious of their employees. They're trying to avoid going to tribunals and trying to avoid that, right, when this relationship breaks down, what happens? But if you've got the right people in the first place, the relationship won't break down because you've got an open dialogue. And I think, yeah, even in employee, even in employee contracts, if you just say, actually, you know, our first port of call is conversation to deal with any problems. Actually, you don't necessarily need this huge, long, complicated list of things just take it back and and actually have this this open dialogue. Um, so yeah, it's, it, things can be simplified far more than they are. We we layer on complexity and complexity because it's sometimes it's people's jobs to layer that on as well. And people like to show they've looked at a policy and had their input on it as well. And people are always adding to policies and never stripping things out. And it's just yeah, it's just this idea that you know what, let's step back, let's just go. Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? How are we going to do it? And then we can start moving some of this this complexity and and actually a lot of the business talk as well. I know it's legal, but you know the jargon and the the overly stern wording. Actually, why can't why can't we just word things in a way that we'd say it? Um, so yeah, I think I think there's a lot of scope. There's a lot of people who would disagree with me on that and say, oh, but you know, from a legal perspective, we have to be covered for this. You know, we have all of these things. But but you know what? A really great example, and and Google have been in the news recently for for not so not so kind of positive reasons. But I was at, I was at Google yesterday, and we were sitting in a self driving car. The lovely interface there is really friendly. It speaks to you in in really personalised terms, and and you know you you get a, a customer service agent call through if you don't press start ride after a while, and they're just checking in to see if they can help. And it's not there's not this kind of formality of agreement. And yes, there's a level of agreement you know to accept the terms of taking that ride, but it's just presented to you in, in a very kind of friendly way. And actually, why why shouldn't it be? There's a key thing that runs throughout the book that it's the organisational purpose is paramount, but then. This is the piece we often overlook in life is that our personal purpose is even more paramount. And you give a great example of a husband and father, Kevin, and his overriding purpose. It'd be great if you shared that, Andy. Kevin's a great guy. Um, when I first met him, he was working for the BBC. He now does some really interesting things of his own. He was saying, you know, we all, we all talk about purpose so much. And yes, I can be aligned with the purpose of the organization I work for, but that doesn't mean I need to join the cult of that and that be my life. Because actually, I've got two children. I've got a family. They're my purpose. Providing for them is my number one purpose. And yes, it's great to work with an organization that I really believe in what they're doing and really want to play a part in that. But that's never going to come before my family. And equally, why should it? Particularly with with the rise of, of startup culture, there's this assumption that it almost becomes a cult. You know, you have to you have to be all in. We want you to live this. We want you, you know, if we're providing you with free meals, you need to be there and you need to be at the after work drinks on Friday or else you're not playing a full part in it. But actually recognizing that that people have their own lives. And just because their purpose is equal kind of outside of work as it is aligned with the work purpose. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, imagine the benefits of of kind of empathy of of all the you know the, the different skills that Kevin or anybody else has as a parent that they can then bring into the organisation. You know, equally, if my number one purpose is you know my hobby is paragliding or I don't know flying a drone or photography or something. Imagine what that gives me to then bring into the workplace where I align with the purpose and what we're trying to achieve. And because I'm passionate about what we're trying to achieve, I can bring in all my other personal traits. And as long as you plug into me as an organization, I've got all this stuff to offer that goes above and beyond my job description. In terms of a personal purpose, it's great to align with the business purpose. And you should only work somewhere where you truly align with what you're doing because you should believe in the work you're doing. But equally, you know, that doesn't mean you sacrifice who you are because who you are as an individual is the best thing you can bring into an organization. And because organizations full of individuals are full of diversity. And the more diversity is, the greater 
the amount of perspectives in an organization. And when we talk about innovation and creativity, creativity comes from the collision of different perspectives. So the more diverse your workforce and the more plugged in they are to each other through you giving them the platform to collaborate, the more they can share perspectives and ideas, the more creative you become. Creativity drives innovation. And if you're really hunting for the next big idea, that's where that comes from. That's fantastic, Andy. And, you know, we were talking before the show about our own personal purpose with the work we do. And it's pretty obvious that you're aligned with what you do. But what is the main message that you would like to get across from writing this book? It took me a lot of exploration to get where I am because actually I I really believed in it. And I think a lot of my research, uh, particularly four or five years ago, came from the perspective of the people. You know, I'd done a lot of work with organizations. And at the time we were saying, okay, how can we enable people to be more productive? How can we help them to contribute more? How can we provide a workspace that increases productivity? But then a, a fateful conversation made me flip it and go, okay, well, what is it that's keeping people in jobs that they hate? Why are they going to these organizations? Because the organization is losing out when there isn't this connection. And what is it that drives the connection? And what are the changes? So I I took my research from a personal perspective. When I looked into it, I realized that I'd been one of these dissatisfied, disengaged workers at, at various times. And I kind of made it my mission to, for the sake of organizations and people, to change that status quo. Because from where I was seeing it, there was all this complexity and all this politics and all this lack of connection that actually, when you fix it, everybody wins because my biggest mantra is when people thrive, organizations thrive too. And it's that simple. And as a result, that kind of shifts that focus and that thought to providing platforms for people to thrive. And I truly believe that when that happens, particularly on a wider scale, organizations around the world can contribute so positively and reduce the negative impact they create. Because if you're thinking about creating platforms for people to thrive, that's not just your employees, that's the communities you impact in the work you do. That's the families of the employees and how they're impacted if you're trying to make them work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How does that influence their relationships with their families? And I think if we fix all this, which is very fixable by simple changes. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of not pulling the rug out from an organization. There are incremental things we can do to start these shifts. And it doesn't even need to come from the, the highest level in an organization. And I mean, I think the book itself showcases case studies. And I spent my life involved in these large, complicated organizations while talking to people from workplaces of all different types to realize that actually we can create a platform for people to thrive. And that, and that drives me personally. I mean, you can probably hear I get quite excited about about these things. And I just feel for me, the relationship between life, work, people and organizations is one constant evolving adventure. And it should be that we shouldn't be monotonous about the daily grind. Actually, we all have an opportunity to create the future every single day. And if we forget this stuff, right? Imagine, imagine the things we can do as human. Beautiful, man. You're obviously singing from the heart, man. It's good to see. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, yeah, so probably the best place to, place to start is either my company's website, myamazingteam.com, or you can check me out on andyswan with two ends.co. Um, there's links there to find out about the book and the various other things we do. If you're interested, the book's called The Human Workplace. It's available on Amazon and directly from the publisher and various bookshops, I guess. Author of The Human Workplace, People-Centered Organizational Development, Andy Swan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Aidan.